Welcome to Digital Detectives, reports from the battlefront. We'll discuss computer forensics, electronic discovery, and information security issues and what's really happening in the trenches. Not theory, but practical information that you can use in your law practice, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the third podcast of Digital Detectives, brought to you by our terrific sponsor, Applied Discovery, an international leader in electronic discovery. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises, Inc. And I'm John Simic, vice president of Sensei Enterprises. Today on Digital Detectives, we'll be talking to one of the e-discovery rock stars from the bench, Magistrate Judge David Waxy from Kansas, who is known to be a very colorful jurist and speaker. Welcome, Judge Waxy. Welcome to you guys. Before we begin talking about the Duke 2010 Conference on Civil Litigation, which is our topic for today, let's start by telling folks a little bit about your background. Judge Waxy is a United States Magistrate Judge for the United States District Court in Kansas City, Kansas. He received his BA degree from the University of Kansas and his JD from Columbia University. He has authored several pioneering decisions involving electronic discovery, including the often cited Williams v. Sprint metadata case. He's a frequent speaker on the subject of electronic evidence, and I've had the pleasure of presenting with him on several occasions. It's a great pleasure to have you with us, Judge Waxy. Let's move on to discussing the Duke Conference uh, on Civil Litigation, which was held on May 10th and 11th earlier this year. Can you first tell us a little bit about the conference uh, and how it came about? Well, it was at the request of the Standing Committee on Rules and Practice of the Judicial Conference, which has an advisory committee on civil rules. And they asked for support from the Judicial Conference to have a conference to look at the question of cost of civil litigation and to see whether they could come up with any solutions. And it's clear that part of this was triggered by some other surveys and proposals that had been done earlier that made several suggestions of substantial changes in the rules. So the federal courts, in response, put together this conference to look at those questions. And so it was, as you've already said, held at Duke in May with lots of papers put together by the participants in the conference. The conference discussed whether it was time to do a major overhaul of the federal rules of civil procedure in light of modern developments involving litigation and technology. Do you think there was a consensus reached on that? And and what's your own view on that? Well, I don't think there was any consensus at the conference to change things substantially. I think if there was a consensus, it was we need to do things better, but the rules are generally okay the way they are. And I agreed with that approach. It seems to me there's some minor changes in the rules that need to be made, but there's some major changes need to be made primarily by judges in terms of judicial management and by litigants in terms of their cooperative spirit in doing litigation, which is missing in so many cases. (laughs) Amen to that. Uh, Everybody agrees, I think, that litigation takes too long and it costs too much. What do you think the chances are for the, the changes in the future that would hold the most promise for changing that particular landscape? Well, this gets to one of the specific rule changes I did suggest, which is if you look at Rule 1 that says the rules should be administered in a manner to secure the just speedy, and inexpensive determination of the action, it seems to me we have not put enough burden on counsel and their clients to reach the same goal. So I think we ought to explicitly make it part of Rule 1 that not only the courts administer them this way, but counsel 
handle cases with that as their goal. And then as part of that rule change, there would be comments on how cooperation is the appropriate way of getting to this just, speedy, and inexpensive determination of the action. I understand that one of the most controversial topics discussed at the conference was uh, the possibility of replacing notice pleading with fact-based pleading. For our listeners who do not know, can you explain these two types of pleadings and then give us your view on whether uh, fact-based pleading should replace a notice pleading? Well, up until the Twomley case in the Supreme Court, it was clear for years and years that we had a notice-based pleading system, which simply meant you had to give the other side notice of what your claims were and not in the pleadings get into a large recitation of the facts supporting your claims. With Twomley and then later with Iqbal, it's become now in federal court clear that you've got to do more fact-based pleading because the standards have been changed from Conley that said, you know, if there was any basis to proceed, you could, to Iqbal now saying that court, and I haven't figured out how to do this yet, but the instruction from the Supreme Court to the rest of us is, use your common sense and judgment and determine whether the claims are plausible. So that's one approach. It seems to me it's not a good idea. It seems to me we need to go back the other direction. And it's, one of the things that was discussed frequently at the conference was the real change in the structure of the rulemaking process. Because as Professor Meller put it, the, one of the important things in the past had been a treaty, as he described it, between the judicial system and the legislative system that rules would come from the court but go to Congress and generally be adopted unless Congress objected. But with these two decisions, it's like the Supreme Court has decided to bypass the rulemaking process and set up, in essence, new rules on pleadings through decisions. So I don't think it's a good idea, and I think there are a lot of people in Congress that are considering proposals to reverse those two opinions with legislation, which is not a good way of proceeding just in terms of the normal relationships between the legislature and the courts. Yeah, it sure, it sure isn't. I'll be interested to see those uh, proposals from Congress, and I'm sure we'll see them soon. I, I understand that there was a lot of agreement that courts ought to use Rule 26B 2C to enforce proportionality in a discovery, and that the participants in the conference felt that the courts rarely do so today. Do, do you think that's true? And if you do, why is it true? Well, I'm afraid I think it is true. All you got to do is search for proportionality in discovery disputes, and you'll see that it's not a well-discussed concept. I mean, occasionally, but not like it should be. And if you've read the rule recently, it says, and I think most judges forget this, including myself, that the court must take proportionality into consideration in discovery. Not You don't have to wait till somebody raises it. Your obligation as a judge in case management is to look at that on your own. And I don't think we haven't been really pushed in that direction by the appellate courts, and we haven't been really trained to do that kind of step that the Rules Committee long ago thought was an essential part of controlling costs and litigation. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break with a few words from the Legal Talk Network and our sponsor, Applied Discovery.
Applied Discovery, a global leader in complex litigation preparation and management, combines subject matter expertise and innovative e-discovery technology in a complete and proven process. From litigation readiness to collection, analytics, processing, document review, and production services, we manage your entire process with dedicated project managers to ensure quality and workflow efficiency. With our team, including former practicing attorneys and technology experts, Applied Discovery can help you successfully navigate the challenges of complex discovery. Discover Applied Discovery today at AppliedDiscovery.com. Need the latest on e-discovery-related topics? Check out our new e-discovery center right here on the Legal Talk Network. You'll find podcasts, webinars, white papers, and more. Just visit our homepage at LegalTalkNetwork.com and click on the eDiscovery Center logo. Welcome back to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Today we are talking to Magistrate Judge David Waxy about the Duke 2010 Conference on Civil Litigation. There also seemed to be agreement at the conference that parties need clear standards governing the preservation of electronically stored information. Do you agree? What kind of problems have the current unclear standards caused? Well, I do agree that this is one of the areas where we need a rule change. And the reason we need a rule change is it's not clear right now from either the rules or the case law what your preservation obligations are in certain circumstances. So the suggested rule change would be to Rule 37 that would set up standards for sanctions that might be used if you fail to preserve correctly and then describe there what correct preservation would be. Because we heard time and time again from the lawyers representing clients at the conference that it's a huge cost to preserve in a lot of these cases because they don't know exactly what they should or should not preserve. So there's the idea of changing Rule 37 to make it clear what the standard should be. But another important suggestion was to modify Rule 27 that most people have never looked at. That's the one that allows you to take a deposition before the litigation starts. This change would allow you to go to court to get a pre-litigation determination of your preservation requirements. And I think the overall proposal that most people are making is this is another area where there needs to be cooperation. You need to have a discussion with the other side and get an agreement on what's going to be appropriate preservation because your only obligation is to have a reasonable preservation program. And if you can do that by agreement, it's so much cheaper. You don't have to do these motions either under 27 or 37. The Rules Committee is discussing these proposed changes now, and I don't know yet whether we'll get them, but I think we need them. Well, sanctions certainly always seem to be a problem, and I'm always astonished that 20 to 25% of the reported e-discovery-related opinions uh, seem to involve sanctions. I know that many of the conference attendees bemoan that we don't have very explicit standards. Um, do you think that they will be able, then, in these changes to Rule 37, do you think that they will clearly be able to identify preservation obligations? Because that's been like nailing jello to a tree uh, in the past, uh, and, and then make it clear what the sanctions are and for what behavior. Do you really think they can accomplish that? 
Well, I don't think you're ever going to come up with rules that are very precise. You're going to set standards that counsel will then have some idea of what they should be trying to do, and the judge will then know what, at least what the standards you're trying to meet. I mean, you can't get into explicit, you know, if you have a two-gigabyte case, you need to preserve this amount. I mean, that stuff will never work. It's going to be so fact-intensive on what the claims are and what the ESI situation is with the various parties. It, I don't think it's going to be the kind of precision some people are looking for, but I think it will help to have some clarification. Because one of the things that, if you look, for example, at Judge Rosenthal's opinion in Remkes, she, and as you know, she's the chair of the Rules Committee, she, in her opinion, said one of the things that's missing in the preservation discussion is proportionality, that you really have to look at those same concepts of proportionality that are in Rule 26 when it comes time to deserve to determine what to preserve. Because if you've got a $10 million case, then maybe spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to preserve makes sense. But if you've got a $50,000 case, it certainly doesn't make sense to spend $100,000 preserving ESI. Many of the attendees said that they, they really see cost shifting used by the courts. And, and I know our own personal experiences, um, we don't see it much at all either. But do you, do you agree with that? And, and if so, why do you think that is? Well, again, I think in a lot of cases, it's just not something that's raised by the parties or thought about by the judge. I think in some cases, it has appeared to me it would be appropriate. And often what I've done is given the parties the flexibility to decide. If you think this area of discovery is important enough, then you pay half the cost of doing it. And it's amazing how less important that area of discovery gets if you have some cost shifting to your side. <laughs> so it, I haven't had to order it very often, but I've certainly suggested that this is a possibility, and I think that seems to help get things resolved. Well, clearly the Federal Rules Advisory Committee has a lot of work to do. What do you think it will do first, and when do you think we might see some of the rule changes? Well, I know they've already had a couple meetings since Duke, and I know they're looking at language. The ones we've talked about with Rule 1 and 2737, I'm not that up to speed on what other ones they've looked at. And they have people on the committee working on drafting. One of the things about the federal rules process, there's no question it's a very slow and deliberative process because it goes from the advisory committee to the rules committee to the judicial conference to the Supreme Court and then the Congress. So timing, you know, I think the changes to the e-discovery rules took something like five or six years. So I don't have any real good sense of how long this is going to take, but it it's certainly going to be something that happens very quickly. I think, again, this is one of the areas where Congress may get involved on some of these issues, and hopefully the rules process will stay ahead of the legislative process, because I think, you know, it's really a good setting when the rules come from the judicial branch as opposed to coming straight from Congress. And you know, one of the things that came up at this conference is so much of what we see in looking at the question of cost and litigation is an issue of perspective. You know, there are a lot of surveys out there with sort of 
differing views on whether this is a huge problem or a minor problem or no problem at all. And Professor Meller had a great quote in one of his papers he presented to the conference that talks about this perspective. He said that frivolous litigation is the lawsuit brought against your client, and abuse is whatever the other side's doing. <laughs> and obviously, those frivolous, abusive lawsuits are what are costing so much money. So I think we've got to work on our perspectives. <laughs> well, we'll let that be the closing word. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today, Judge Waxy. The conference really inspired a lot of chatter on the e-discovery wire, so it was very illuminating to get your thoughts. Many thanks, Judge. It was great to have you with us. Well, thanks for giving me the chance to preach, hopefully, to somebody that's listening. That does it for this edition of Digital Detectives. And remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at www.legaltalknetwork.com or on iTunes. And you can find more about Sensei's Computer Forensic Technology and Security Services at www.senseient.com. We'll see you next time on Digital Detectives. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Check out some of our other podcasts on LegalTalkNetwork.com and in iTunes.